This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's go start Parshas Vayakel Pekude. We're going to do we're going to deal with the first Pesach in Parshas Vayakel. Says Paraklamet Hey Pesachal Vayakel Moshe is called Aspen Esrov Yomareleim. Moshe gathered all of Aspen Esrov and he said to them Eilad Varn Shetiv Hashem Lasososam. These are the things that a Kaddish Baruch Hu commanded to do them. Now afterward we speak about Shabbos. This whole Parsha Vayakel and then Pekude afterward is talking about the Mishkan. It's a continuation of Truma and Tetzave. It seems to be a lot of repetition from what happened in Truma and then eventually Tetzave and Pekude itself. And it talks about their donations, what they actually brought that they did Kasher Tziv Hashem Moshe everything that Hashem commanded. So it's a little weird that we spend the first couple psukim in this parsha talking about Shabbos. That Moshe Rabbeinu gathered Bnei Israel. You'd think he would say to them, "Okay, now we're going to do the Mishkan." He does say, Hashem laso." So some these are the things that these are the things that Hashem wants us to do. But then it goes into Shabbos, and after that we go into the Mishkan. And what's the connection between them? So Rashi says, first of all, this gathering happened on the day after Yom Kippur of the first year. Meaning, obviously, we know that they left Mitzrayim on Tesvav Nisan. Obviously, that was Pesach. Kriyas Yamsuf happened on the seventh day. They got the Torah 50 days later, right? That was on Matan Torah. That's in Vav, Zion, Sivan, whatever it was. Moshe went up for 40 days. The Egel Azov happened. He went up for another 40 days to Davin for them. Went up for another 40 days to get the second Paraluchos. He came down on Yom Kippur. On the day after Yom Kippur, this is the day where he gathered them together. He gathered them not by force, says Rashi, but rather by word of mouth. He told them, I'd like you to come. And the level of respect that everybody held for Moshe Rabbeinu, after all that had happened with the Egel Azov, etc., shows that they still wanted everything the Moshe Rabbeinu had to give them. Ayala Shachar says, it's likely there was no Yom Kippur that year. And I, I think that makes the most sense. They wouldn't have been taught about Yom Kippur. Moshe Rabbeinu had been gone for the last 120 days. The best that I know, I don't think they learned about Yom Kippur at, during the Aseris Debros. I know all the mitzvahs were included in the Aseris Debros. I just don't see a Pusik that says that they learned about Yom Kippur until much later on, until Parshat Zacharimos, which means the most likely thing is that Yom Kippur was not held of as a fast day and as a day of kapara and slicha, etc. until the second year when they already were more into it and they knew certain other things. So it's likely that it didn't happen over there. So the Lukos were given to on that day. I would even assume that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the Lukos and Yom Kippur, they were partying. I would assume that they celebrated the fact that they had the Lukos itself, but I can't tell you that for sure. But regardless, this would have been the day after Yom Kippur itself. Sizakamim says it makes sense because they needed a kapara for what happened with Egel Azov. The last time that Moshe had been there, granted Moshe was back for like a half a day in between the 40-day stint and the 40-day stint, but the last time they had seen Moshe Rabbeinu, they had just committed Egel Azov and they needed a massive kapara. He was now available to tell them what to do, so they went to Moshe and they said, so what do we do now? We have the Egel, we have the Egel Azov before. We feel horrible about what happened, even though the 3,000 people are now dead, 600 people and the other people that were sort of into it, but not there, and the Erebrav had been sort of kicked out of the immediate camp of Klai Yisrael, but what can we do to make it better? And Moshe Rabbeinu immediately tells them about the Mishkan, and he tells them, here's what I want you to build, I want you to build the Mishkan itself, and to try to do it. Rabbeinu Bechaya says, they gathered together by Aaron, by the Egel, so they gathered together to do the Mishkan, this was the Kapara for what they had done. 
to gather together in the right way. Teres Yonasim as well talks about over here. And there were other kaparos. There are 13 donations that were given that we mentioned in Parshish Truma and repeat over here in Parshish Vayakel. Those 13 donations, obviously 13 is the gematria of Echod for the Achtus that they were supposed to have together, right? Which obviously was an issue that had happened right over here. The Vayakel is to be Machaper for Vayakel they had by Aaron, as we just said. The Erev Rav, we're not allowed to be with them because of what the Erev Rav did by the Eglaz of. These were all issues that they took care of one after the other after the other, each one of them taking care of another issue that they said. Maskil Ladavid, who's one of the Perushe Rashi, says he could have told them everything on Yom Kippur itself. He came down from the mountain on Yom Kippur. He could have said to the people immediately, here's what we got to do. These are the issues. This is what we got to take care of. Of course, that's an idea behind it. But says the Maskil Ladavid, it's possible that would be a chilo of Yom Kippur itself. As we said, it's possible there was a day of Yom Kippur. It's possible there wasn't. It's a little bit of a kasha exactly what to do over here. Berbatsetta says basically the same thing. Who knows what's going to be with being Doha Shabbos, but that's another thing for another time over there. He was afraid of them carrying or bringing something with, something happening, and that's the reason why he didn't tell them about the Mishkan immediately when it came to that. The Ramban stresses the positive over here. Yes, there's an idea that he wanted that, obviously, a Kaddish Baruch would distance himself from them, and he wanted to have it. The, 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 the stress over here is not to think about how God's far away from them and the horrible things that had happened up until now. Moshe told them, don't worry. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Shechina is going to rest again through the building of the Mishkan. Don't worry. You're going to get that Shechina back that you had at Harsinai, that you had by Shavuos itself. It's going to be good again. It just takes a lot from you, and if you're willing to do it, you'll get it, and if not, now. And Rapersh also talks about the thing over here, and it goes to over here of what's happening. But the basic idea, as we all see, is this idea of getting them together, gathering them together, and to bring about some type of a renewal for what had happened by the Eglah Zav. Yes, they messed up. Now they're going to bring themselves back. The al spoke about that at length. And the concept of what's going to happen, if we do this correctly, everything's going to be all good. We've got a problem, though. This happened the day after Yom Kippur. Does anybody else know what happened on the day after Yom Kippur? Anybody know? The day after Yom Kippur, the day after Yom Kippur, Moshe Rabbeinu came down, and immediately he did what? What was the deal that he got into right then? Not everybody all wants. Come on, somebody's got to have this. I'm going to hint. Parshas Yisro. Set up the judges. Set up the judges. What did he do? He got up in the morning, and in Parshas Yisro, when Yisro came, it says he met with Yisro whenever Yisro came. Kasha when Yisro came, but. On the day after Yom Kippur, says Rashi, he got up in the morning to judge the people. And he judged, says the Pasuk, may Erev ad, may Boker ad Erev, from the morning until the evening. He was there doing it all day long. And what happened? Yisro looked at him and said, you can't do this. He scolded him and said, you can't do this. You're working all day long teaching the people about what to do judgment-wise and judging them and stuff like that. You can't do it. Rashi told us before, and it makes sense now, there's no way that Pasuk could be taken literally. There's no way Moshe was judging them from morning until evening. Because if there was, then there was no time to do this. Parshas Vayakil, which he told them about Shabbos and then the Mishkan, it never could have happened. Because let's think for a second, if he's judging them from morning until evening, then there's no time to be able to tell them about the Mishkan. It must be, it's got to be, that he only judged them a little bit, and as Rashi says, it's as if he judged them all day. It was something awesome, something great that you could do when you judge them all day. But the concept, is that there's no way, absolutely no way, he actually judged them from morning until evening, because he needed time to do this as well. The Kliyakar says it makes sense. He purposely started to judge them. He started off the day by judging them. He got them all together and in the morning, right after everything was done, he got them all together and made sure that everyone had their own money and not someone else's. You can imagine that if stuff was being donated to the Mishkan later on that day, 
if people had other people's money, then that would have been horrible. That would have been absolutely horrible for everyone. Everybody would have been donating the wrong thing to the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishkan, I'm sorry, and everybody would have had something wrong. So for that reason, on purpose, it had to be done so that we'll judge everybody first. Your money is your money. Yenem's money is Yenem's money. Everybody has their own money. And then he told them, all right, guys, now you can donate. So that nobody would just pull out the money from their pockets and give it over to the Mishkan, even though it might not have been theirs. He judged all the cases possible and then got involved over here. Taught them the halachos, what they needed to know. Maybe even taught them the that you cannot donate something to Hectish that's not yours. So they only gave money that they knew was 100% theirs and not something else. You can imagine, like if somebody would go, get up and say, teach us about tzedakah for the very first time, right? And everybody's so excited, they want to give money. But if I'm giving the wrong money, if I'm giving Daniel's money and I'm just giving it as if it's my own money, that's horrible. You just messed up and this is the mishkan. It has to be made perfectly. So first, judge the people. Once you're finished judging and everybody has their own money and everything's taken care of, then I'll tell you about the mishkan. And that was done absolutely. Absolutely on purpose. Paneach Raza says he judged until midday. He ate a meal. You know, because judges should not eat a meal until they finish judging cases that they're involved with. They should not eat anything during that time. And then afterward, after midday, that's when he taught them about the Mishkan itself. It's strange that this was seemingly the first Talach he taught them, but that's that. This is the idea that goes down over here. Now, I do want to mention, by the way, I'm a little weirded out by the Psukim if this works out the way Rashi's saying it. Let's think for a second, guys. Vayakil was taught to them on the day after Yom Kippur, right? According to this idea right now, the day after Yom Kippur. Moshe Rabbeinu, again, had been gone for 120 days, right? We had Vav Sivan or Zion Sivan where the Torah was given, gone for 40 days, comes back, sees the Egel Azov and kills, whatever, goes back for 40 days, comes back for a little bit to get the Luchos, the second pair of Luchos, goes up with the second pair of Luchos and then brings them down then. Yom Kippur, he comes down and then Machoros Yom Kippur, we have this right over here. When was Parshas Truma and Parshish Tzitzaveh told to the people. When would that have been? When did he tell them about that? I want you to think about this for a second. If Vayakil was told to them the day after Yom Kippur, this Parsha was told to them, then what about Parshish Truma and Tzitzaveh, which was the first time that we went through all this? When was that taught to them? Yeah, Ellie. Seemingly, that's what would be it. So it seems weird, though, because it does seem to say that Vayakel, meaning this Parsha, is all what happened after Moshe Rabbeinu came down. He was telling them what to do. It's not that Vayakel is only the Asiya. That's really Pekude. Vayakel is telling them, here's what you're going to do, as if he's telling it a second time. Well, when was the first time? And it doesn't look like it's just doing it, so to speak. He's telling them, here's what you're going to bring, and setting up its all. yeah. That's the kasha. That's a better kasha. What's going on? What is going on with it? Now, I find this a little weird. Then it seems has an opinion here, but it seems to me, and I don't know if I'm totally right, that Rashi's shita, Rashi's opinion over here, and I know there's a big kasha about this, but Rashi's normal shita is that the parshos are in order unless you see something otherwise. And although he says that the Mishkan is a kapara for the Egel Azov, it looks like he held Truma and Tetzaveh were taught to them before the Egel Azov happened, that they learned about Truman Tetzaveh, possibly even on Vav or Zion Sivan, on that day itself.
And before Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain, they knew about the Mishkan itself. And then Vayakil was a repetition saying, you're going to do, remember what I told you 120 days ago? Now we're really going to do it. It's time to donate. They didn't donate up until that point, but it would be there. Those who hold that the Torah is out of order, Truman Tetzava is said now, and Vayakil, I don't know how to learn it. I don't understand it exactly. It would be like Vayakil is sort of, here's what he told them the day after Yom Kippur about Shabbos maybe, right? And the Mishkan is really just, referring back to what happened in Truman Tetzaveh, but really Truman Tetzaveh is now the day after Yom Kippur. It's weird. It's completely and utterly weird if you hold of the other opinion that the Parshos are out of order and we didn't know anything about the Mishkan until after the Egel Azov happened. I'm not sure how to answer up when all the Parshos happened. Maybe it wasn't the day after Yom Kippur, but I think that Rashi's hinting to us that Truman Tetzaveh are before, then the Egel Azov happened, and then came by Yaakov Bakude the day after Yom Kippur. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Set Rifua, the Rifua of Truman and Tetzaveh, of the Mishkan and the Big Day Kuna Gedola. Very good. And then he went ahead and somehow they found out later why they needed it so badly. Yeah, it's possible. It's very possible that that's the shot behind it. It is weird. There is a Maria Saad. So first of all, the Kliyakar goes into a whole thing that they were more receptive in this day, etc. There's a big Kliyakar. You can look it up yourself. The Maria Saad, Rebuda Saad, tremendous safer, says this had to be the day after Yom Kippur since Moshe didn't gather everyone together himself. There's a Medrash that says that Shmuel Anavi was a greater Anav than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, we all know Moshe Anav Mikolada. Moshe was a, the greatest Anav of all time, the most humble person that has ever existed. But the Medrash says Shmuel Anavi was more humble, humbler than Moshe Rabbeinu. What's Pshat? Why is it that Shmuel Anavi is considered more humble? So it says the Medrash. Because Shmuel gathered B'nai Yisrael together himself. Shmuel went around and told everybody, gather at mitzvah, come to mitzvah, and he told them all himself. But Moshe Rabbeinu had a shliach to it. Thus, Vayakhel is he had them gathered as opposed to, I guess, I'm not a good, Vayakhel. Vayakhel would be, and he gathered them. Vayakhel is he caused them to be gathered. Since he didn't gather himself, Shmuel was greater. So why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu gather them himself? Why wouldn't he have gone up to everybody and said, let's go together, guys. Let's get everyone together. And maybe the pshat is, he's a king. A king can't be mochel on his own honor. Shmuel was not a king. So Shmuel could be Mokhal in his own honor, but Moshe was a king, and a king can't be Mokhal in his own honor, so he couldn't do it himself. He had to send a shliach. But when Bnei Yisrael sinned with the Egel, Hashem told Moshe, Lech raid. You're done. You're no longer on the level that you were at. Lech raid. You're down a level. You're no longer considered the king of Klau Yisrael. So up until that point, it could be that lasted until they were forgiven. Since he had them gathered through a shliach, it must be that they were already forgiven and the Moshe Rabbeinu was raised back to the level of a king. And if he's now a king again, he can't do it himself. He has to send a shliach. Since he sent a shliach and didn't do it himself, he couldn't do it himself. He was a king and he couldn't do that. Therefore, we know this must have been after Yom Kippur, after they had been forgiven for everything that happened by the Egel Azov. Yes. This Vayakhil was not a natural gathering. They might have been gathered at the foot of the mountain on Yom Kippur, but the next day he told them to come. And remember, if he was judging them in the beginning of the day, that means they weren't gathered yet. And he told them, okay, now gather. So it makes sense that he had to do something over here, but that's that. Ibn Ezra says, 
uh, it makes sense that Moshe Rabbeinu did this himself. It makes a lot more sense. He wanted people to give donations, right? I, I don't know if anybody here has ever been a guy who's tried to get donations from other people. I hate doing it. I'm not a guy who's big into this. And like, sometimes you need it, like in the shul or in yeshiva, you need to just go and raise money and just make sure that it all happens. And that makes sense. But Moshe Rabbeinu could not hand this over to anyone else. These are donations to the Mishkan. He needs this to be perfect. It's got to be done in such a way to spur people on and to want them to do it properly. If the rabbi of the shul sends someone else to get the donations, they're not going to give as much. The rub goes up to him. It's something different. Just not too long ago, we had something here where we were collecting for something, for, uh, for, Lama, for the Malava Malka. And somebody said, oh, somebody has to call this person up. So I said, I, this is what I said to the rub. I said, listen, if you want me to collect as the assistant rabbi, I'll do it and I'll go to that person and I'll ask him for that amount of money. But here's what's going to happen. If I ask him, he's giving me a hundred bucks. If you ask him, there's a zero added onto that number. I don't mean zero, 100, right? You get it, right? So it's going to be like that. It's one of the two. Moshe Rabbeinu realized that if he asked them to donate because of the level that he was on and how everybody treated him with respect, that was going to be so much better. So says the way that Ibn Ezra says it is, he spurred them on, and especially when you do it publicly. If you do it in such a fashion, people are going to be there. And there is a serious warning here. Yes, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I want you to donate, but we've been ignoring this up until now. You cannot donate on Shabbos. Shabbos cannot be utilized for such a thing. Nothing can happen when it comes to this. That was something they needed to hear from him. Because for him to say, yes, people, everybody donate, they probably would have gotten up and all donated together. But not on Shabbos. Shabbos cannot be utilized for this. Nothing can happen on Shabbos. That's something the warning had to come from Moshe Rabbeinu's mouth himself. The Alshech says the people even gave a Kalvachomer. The people went up to Moshe and said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you told us about the concept of a Kalvachomer. You taught us about this idea of when something's like this, then even more so like that. They said, we have a Kalvachomer here. You told us that you can get a bris meal on Shabbos. I don't know when he taught them these halachos. But you told us that you can give a bris meal on Shabbos. Why are you allowed to do a bris meal on Shabbos? Because you're starting off this kid's career, right? You're getting him closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So to get closer to God, you can do that on Shabbos. You're allowed to bring korbanos on Shabbos. You're allowed to bring a korban. A korban is about getting close to God. The word karov in the word korban. You're getting closer to God. So therefore, you're allowed to go ahead and bring a korban. You can bring that on Shabbos itself. It said you could you could do pikuach nefesh. If a person is dying, you're allowed to get in a car, break Shabbos, save that person in any which way. You can do anything you can for pikuach nefesh. You can break Shabbos. Why? To bring another soul closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, allow him to do mitzvot. If that's true, even more so we should build the Mishkan. The Mishkan is bringing the Shechina to us. So they said, if we can do pikuach nefesh, and we can do mila, and we can bring korbanos on Shabbos, then in, of course, why wouldn't you be able to build the Mishkan on Shabbos? It sounds ridiculous. You could do all those things to bring God close, but this, or bring us closer, but to bring God to us, you're not going to be able to do, says the Alshech, the Kavachormer was tremendous, said Moshe Rabbeinu, it's wrong. It's wrong. You can't do it. Now why? He looked at them and he said, that's true that the Shechina will come down when the Mishkan's built. But until the Mishkan is fully built, the Shechina will not be here. So therefore, said, to Mo, said Moshe Rabbeinu, you cannot donate or build the different parts of the Mishkan 
because the Shekhinah won't be there at that time. On that Shabbos, the Shekhinah is not going to rest. It's not going to land on that object. You're not bringing the Shekhinah down at that moment. You're building it for now and you're doing hachana, preparation for when the Shekhinah is going to come. Once the Shekhinah is there, then you can get yourself closer. But until that point, you can't build. So the building of the Mishkan and the donations to the Mishkan could not be done on Shabbos. I want you to think about this for a second. That means in order to break Shabbos, there must be a reason that you're getting closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A idea, an idea of getting yourself closer. Now, I am not using that as a blanket hatcher, so why not invite people over in order to keep Shabbos to get them closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That clearly is not a halacha, right? And it's not there. Whether you hold of it or not, regarding bringing over Bali Chuva for Shabbos, that's another issue altogether. It's not from here. But the concept, conceptually, right, the idea is that the only way that a person can break Shabbos is if there's a way for that person to keep more Shabbosos in the future, or for that person to become closer to God, like the bris meal, like pikuach nafesh, like, so to speak, the korban, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us we're allowed to do. That's the concept over here and what the El Sheikh is referring to over here and what we said. Okay, that's a really cool idea, but that's there. But here's another great lesson. We learned from this parsha dealing with Hilchos Shabbos in the beginning, that every Shabbos, this is halacha, the Rav should gather together the people of his congregation and have them all sit together to hear drushos from the Rav. Because obviously there's more time available than during the week when everybody's working. On Shabbos is the time to have kihilos, kihilos, groups of people together learning Torah, to sit and learn. During the week, you can maybe get, listen, you get a half hour here, a half hour there, you're able to grab and steal time away from something else. You can learn a little bit. On Shabbos, what's going on? There's nothing to do. You rest, you eat, you learn. There's nothing else to do. So you could, of course, get your bagel and more than that, get your 15 and a half hours of rest. But there's so much time to learn. Rebovadi Yosef never slept on Shabbos. He felt that it was such a waste. You have Shabbos day. Why would you sleep? You have so much time to learn. Now, I'm not asking anyone to be a Rebovadi Yosef. I am, but I'm not at the same time. Right? That's obviously not a real expectation. But for us to be able to utilize it, the Ben Yishchai says in his Sefer in the Halachos, every blot of Gemara learned on Shabbos is seven blot. Because if you couldn't learn during the week, so you have to learn on Shabbos itself, so you learned every day of the week if you get to learn on Shabbos. You're showing what I would do if I had more time during the week. So he says, one blot counts as seven blot altogether. So that's awesome. You can learn two blot of Gemara. You have 14 blot in your pocket. 14 blot that you were able to get down. That's such an awesome idea to be able to go through. Says the Shach, every Shabbos, not only there should be great groups learning with the Rav, there should be groups of people learning together, everybody working with each other, making it happen. The Medrash seems to say that they learned Hilchah Shabbos, but the Medrash also says they learned Isr And it makes sense, the idea is, is that of course you're supposed to learn Halachas of Yom Tif before Yom Tif. like right now, learning the Halachas of coming up Pesach, once we get into Shavuos, learning the Halachas of Yom Tif, what Cholamoid is all about. He claims this is the very first of the Shabbos Drashos, to really get into it. It doesn't only include men. Women are included in this. Children are included with this. They all have to know what halachos are. And it's this. It's kol adas b'nei Yisrael. Everybody in Ada, every Jew, man, woman, and child must find time on Shabbos to learn. And it is a drush from this week's parsha, which makes it into the realm of halacha. We know that Shabbos Agadol is coming up and Shabbos Shuvah. We're such babies, guys. We're literally, we're such little babies. Like now, the rabbi speaks for like 45 minutes and a Shabbos Agadol, Joshua, you want to punch yourself in the face. 
right? The Beni Shchai spoke for six hours straight on Shabbos Agadol, Shabbos Shuva, Shabbos Parah, and Shabbos Parshah Zachar. And the men, women, and children would pack the house in Iraq. I'm sure it was extremely hot during some of those times, maybe not now, but around the times of Shabbos Shuvah Drasha, right at the end of the summer, they're sitting in September in Iraq, and they're sitting there huddled together, some people on the roof. Obviously, there is no... You know, nothing on top of them. The women were on the roof, all listening to the Ben Yishkai for hours on end. Hours. I had a Rebbe of mine that went to a place called... I'm sorry? Find you a Ben Yishkai. If you were in the times of the Ben Yishkai, you would say, find me, you know, the, find me Rabbi Yaakov of Bukhatsera. You know, you'd say the same thing. There are Ben Yishkais of today. What you deserve is still around. They might not be a Ben Yishkai, but there's other people around that are tremendous. Yeah. I totally hear you. You know what? You're right. There was no entertainment at the time. So this is it. So on Shabbos, I'm... I'm, I totally hear you. No, no, that's why Torah Anytime is here. I totally hear you. Like, because people are so spaced out. They're just like, I can't listen to a rabbi. I have to see it in a video. (laughs) Like, it's impossible. No offense, everybody. But like the concept, like the idea of like, I I totally understand where it comes from. But I get it. (laughs) When you deserve the more talent, you'll get the more talent. This... This concept, I, I, did, I do juggle quite a bit in my hands right now, but I, I will tell you, this idea is so awesome. There was a bunch of people, one of my rabbin, Rabbi Brazil, he ended up going to Lubbock, Texas for a medical issue that his daughter had. When he went there, he found that there was a group of Noahide Jews, obviously not Jewish at all. Noahide Jews, I just said, right? That's wrong. Noahides, right? That were they believed. There were seven minutes of Noah people. They obviously were not Jewish, nothing like that. They sat for hours because there was no real concept of anything. They had art scroll kumashim, the stone reading through the English of the Parsha of the week with all the commentaries in the Rashi, right? And they go through every week and there were like 20 people sitting around and doing it and going through the entire Parsha. Now granted, right, that's only 20 people of a Noahide community in the middle of Texas, right? I'm sure they didn't have anything else to do because there's nothing to do in Texas. So I'm sure that they had, they were just bored and they were just sitting around. But that's awesome. That means that they're that's like a, 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 that puts the onus back on us and say to ourselves, come on, we have Shabbos. We have 25 hours of Shabbos. We got an extra hour knocked inside there. What are we doing? Yes, there's two hours of davening in the morning. There's about an, you know, 45 minutes of davening at night, maybe another half an hour and 15 minutes of minchamara. So if I'm doing my math correctly and, you know, adding it up, right, that pretty much means you got three and a half hours of davening down. Meals are long. Okay, so let's say two hours, two hours, right? Four hours altogether. So that's seven and a half hours. Three and a half plus four, Carry the one. You got seven and a half, right? After you get the seven and a half hours, you got to get your 10 hours of sleep. I hear you. I totally hear you. That's 17 and a half hours. People, there are 25 hours on Shabbos. What are you doing for the other seven and a half of them? Code names? Oh, you mean games? No, I, don't make me punch you in the face. I, I, no, 100% not. No, I granted, you know what? Fine, play code names for an hour. You have, we're subtracting, it's four and a half hours now. What are you doing during the four and a half hours? You can finish Shas on Shabbos if you really wanted to. You can do anything you want. You have so much time. And that's the concept. The time it across says, it's not just about Hilchah Shabbos. It's like, this is the concept of where, when you're, when someone who's Mechalo Shabbos considered like a kofer, it's as if he's saying there's no greater situation. When people announce publicly the halachas of Shabbos, this is what Rav Chaim Knievsky says, when people announce publicly the halachas of Shabbos, they're announcing that there's a creator. 
They're saying there is a creator of the world. If we're using Shabbos to learn the halachos, you are announcing there is a creator. I believe in it. And I believe that he created and he made Shabbos for us to be able to have. Ramosha says it's even more so. It's not just regarding the halachos. The ikr should be in every one of the things you learn on Shabbos to build up your imuna, to build up something in your imuna for Shabbos itself. And I believe, by the way, the Ramosha was referring to his times when people were being machal Shabbos right and left in order just to live, right, in America. And obviously he wasn't there then, but right, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and even further, when people were being machal Shabbos just to survive, to get past the work week and whatever it was, right, until they took Shabbos off. It makes sense. He was trying to say to deserve the honor that the Torah gives, the Torah gets, right? A person should learn specifically about Emunah, which is a great time to be able to learn it. And you find a safer that you really like. Emunah be talking from the Chazanish if you're a tremendous Hebrew linguist and you understand that type of Hebrew. You can learn Ali Shur. You can learn Kovitz Mamarim. There are some unbelievable sparm out there. Or just simply put the Rambam. Hilchos Yisoda Satoro. Just go through and like skip the part about the Galgalim and stuff like that. And you go through. There's some awesome stuff out there that you have no time to learn that you can utilize, Dave. Um, I thought that Kiddush on Friday night uh, is a testament to the, to the witnessing of creation. Yeah. And that, in, in that, in a sense, makes you a partner in creation. Correct, because we, that's why we say Yom HaShishi by Yechul We add on the sixth day to show that we're a partner in creation itself. Exactly. So learning those halachas of Shabbos is showing that we're more than just partners. We believe in it more. I think the point is to add on to it. Yeah, it does something. But now you're adding on to it and making it as a part of you. I think that's the shot behind it. And I think it also makes sense. The Ksav Sofer says, why are we learning Hilchah Shabbos? And the measure says that you're learning about Easter Vahetar. It just makes sense over here. The Pasuk seems to be talking about Hilchah Shabbos. And that's what it says. By Yakel Moshe and taught them about Shabbos. It doesn't say anything else over here. The shot is, on, in the Midbor, they had all week to learn. So on Shabbos, they learned Hilchah Shabbos. Now, I, we don't have all week to learn. How, how much time? I'm sitting in Yeshiva all day, but how much time do I actually get to learn? I don't mean teach. How much time do I actually get to learn something? To get down my own learning that does nothing to do with me giving a sheer or preparing for something else. How much time do I actually get to learn? A couple hours a day at the most. At the most, I, can, I hope that I can get in a couple hours a day that aren't you know, preparing and doing stuff like that. Where I, I can really count it as my own personal learning. It's really, really difficult. Says the Ksav Sofer, on Shabbos, it used to be you did your own learning during the week, especially in the midbar, because what were they doing all day? They were learning their own stuff during the week. And on Shabbos, they learn Shabbos. Nowadays, on Shabbos, do anything. Just do Isr Vahetar, because when else are you going to learn it? When else are you going to find out the halachas of going around? You shouldn't have to, and I know, and I don't take this lightly. I, I know that people text me Shilohs all the time or call me up with Shilohs all the time, but you should have the answers yourself. Meaning, you should be the expert in your house. Just like you're your own mashkiach, you go somewhere, you trust the hashgacha that has their name on the wall. But it's up to you at the end of the day. You have to trust the guy. And if you don't trust the guy, how could you go inside, right, and not know whatever? This is the idea. You are your own mashkiach. Find out the halachas yourself. Read a book that goes in, whether it's Hebrew or English. Find a book that has these halachas and go through it on Shabbos and have something that's just for you. We have a couple more minutes, so let's idea. What was the true purpose of the gathering over here? Why did they need to get together now? The Miyam Lois says, the reason they got B'nai Yisrael together and the Erev Rav were not invited because they saw what the Erev Rav were like. 
they realized that the Arab Rab were only into destroying them. Led by Yonus and Yambrus or Yochanai and Mamre, those two sons of Bilam, they saw the concept of what these people were like and what they were doing, and they refused to invite them to the gathering. They understood from this point on they have to be separate. So really the point of Vayakel Moshe is Moshe gathered Adas B'nei Yisrael and turned to the Arab Rab and said, you guys are out. I don't want to deal with you anymore. You're out. This was the first full separation of Klau Yisrael from the Erev Rav to say, I don't want you guys anywhere near us anymore. The Shach says he knew that even speaking to the Erev Rav would be damaging for Moshe Rabbeinu because even seeing an evil person affects you. Even going up and seeing somebody who's an evil person who's a Russia, it affects you as a person. He didn't want them, benefit, them to benefit by staring at his face either. Remember, Moshe Rabbeinu had that shine that went on his face. He didn't want them benefiting for that also. So it could be they did tshuva, the Erev Rav did tshuva, but he stayed away from them and said to them, there's no reason for him to go anywhere near and this just didn't make it. no reason no reason Tom Vidas mentioned something with Strumbach as well to try to get them around he I don't know erased their numbers from his phone blocked their phone calls right he made sure that nobody from the Erev Rav would have any shaykhs to them from then on for that reason over there Rabbi Yaakov says a second answer the reason why they needed a time to get together because he saw again by the Egel Azov there was something wrong 600 or 3,000 people joined together with the Arab Rav to do it, and no one else cared. Everybody else in Klal Yisrael just stood around, put their hands in their pockets, and were just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, if those guys want to do that, that's fine. I'm going to go do my own thing over there. They didn't care. They saw Klal Yisrael sinning in front of their eyes and doing something wrong, and they couldn't care less. That should hurt you. It should bother you. If you see, and I know we're not on this level, and I know it's, it's whatever, you see somebody being Mechal Shabbos. It should hurt you. I don't mean you should be throwing rocks at them, right? Obviously, that's not the right thing to do either because it doesn't seem like any Gedolim have ever suggested it ever. But the concept is to be able to sit there and say to yourself, I, I've got to do something about this. I have to myself to even, I, I, I can't, I'm not like this, and I'm telling you, I myself don't have it, but to cry when you see somebody being Mechal Shabbos. Instead of saying, and again, this is a sensitive topic, but when you see somebody who intermarries or goes to the other nations and feels like they can't get somebody within our nation, that should make a person cry. Again, it doesn't mean that you go and you yell at them and scream at them and say you're destroying, etc. That's not the point. It's that how in the world do we have a nation that didn't do what we're supposed to be doing? We are in charge. We're the guys who are supposed to be doing the right things. And where are we? Why are we not doing it? Every single person here could be a Rebbe for 30 people in the suburbs, right? 30, 30 people at least, if not more than that. You could be. And we just, we're not. We're just sort of like, I don't know if it's that we just don't feel like we have the strength or the power or whatever. I'm sorry? Yeah. So that means you shouldn't try? I feel like it's a little heavy. I am. I'm being heavy. Yeah. Rev Yaakov Kamenetsky is saying, when Moshe Rabbeinu saw that, that non-achtus, he said, we need to bring it all together. That's Vayakel Moshe. He brought Ben Yisrael together. Again, the first opportunity he had, because he was gone 40, 40, 40. He gets them together. It's the day after Yom Kippur. He comes back down and he says, here's what we got to do. We're going to have, I don't know, a kumzitz together. We're going to get all together. We're going to learn a bunch of halachas of Shabbos. I'm going to teach you guys about the Mishkan, and then we're going to sing Achenu. Right? We're going to do it, and we're going to stand up. Everyone now! And they got everyone together. And that's it. So yes, I, you're right. I'm being way too heavy in the expectations of what's going on. And clearly, that isn't a full expectation. But just know, it's in everybody here to do this. Everyone has the ability to do it. It just takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit, a lot of work to be able to build yourself up and to do that. You have a coworker, getting that coworker to eat kosher once, once, 
is a massive accomplishment. To be able to get them to say one time they're going to eat a kosher food. To get them, again, I'm not going to go all Chabad on you. I am not fully Chabad. But to get them to where it's fill in once. Right? Just to where it's fill in for the first time in their lives. Without going to the koto with a cardboard kippah. But to actually do it once in their life. That's amazing. Amazing. To invite them over for Shabbos. Again, I'm not getting into the halachic issue of having them over when you think they're driving. Whatever. That's another issue altogether. But like to tell them, I'd love to have you for Shabbos. There's a Pesach Seder coming up. To have them over for a Pesach Seder and then not going until 3 o'clock in the morning. And doing this in a way that makes it available for them. We have it. It's there. It's right there. We just have to do a little bit more. Sam Sofer says that the first thing we need to bring together all we need for the Mishkan itself is that achtus, that ability to think that we're all together. And that's why when they didn't have achtus and they had sinas chinam, that destroys the Beis HaMikdash. The Mishkan was built on achtus, on Vayakhel Moshe. The Beis HaMikdash is destroyed when there was no Achtos. I don't want to go into the Mishkan being destroyed. When Eli's sons, Chofni and Pinchas, took the Aron Kodesh with them out to war against the Plishtim, against the wishes of Eli, it was a strange move altogether to take the Aron Kodesh away from them. Somehow, there was a lack of Achtos, a breakdown in the connection that they had to their father, which caused a huge break in Klal Yisrael, which they, they lost for years until, thank God, we had a person like Shmuel and Avi to bring everybody back together and gather them at Mitzvah. But there was a problem Problem there. There's a problem that's missing. That pirud, that separation, causes there to be a major, major issue. Do you remember we talked a couple weeks ago about the concept of the parochas, where the parochas is the idea of where it separates, but yet it's still the same room. It's still in the same idea. It's a partition, right? Something that does, but nonetheless, you're still there. That concept is what this idea is all about, of creating an actus that would be, listen, everybody does their own thing, but nonetheless, they should feel like there's some type of a connection together. There's a lot of other answers here. I wrote down a bunch of other answers. The Maril, the Orachayim Akadosh, the Yalkut Ruveni over here, the Malachim Mavis that he was seeing with them, which is absolutely amazing. The Orachayim Akadosh goes into the shine on his face, the Chidush Rim that says the Masve was all from Klau Yisrael. I'm sure you all know this. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu get his shine from? B'nai Yisrael said Nasa Manishma. They actually said Nasa number first on the third day of, uh, third day of uh, Sivan. Fourth day of Sivan, they said, oh, second day of Sivan, they said Nasa. Third day of Sivan, they said Nasa. Fourth day of Sivan, they said Nasa Manishma. And Parshat Mishpatim, toward the very end, when they said Nasa Manishma, they were giving crowns. The crowns were crowns of light. One said Nasa, one said Nishma. When they did the Egel Azab, they lost the crowns. Take down your crowns, Moshe Rabbeinu told them. Moshe Rabbeinu saved those crowns by bringing it to himself, so to speak, grabbing that light and putting it on himself so that every single day Moshe Rabbeinu's face shone like a bright light. That's what it was from all the crowns of Klai Yisrael. 600,000 times two crowns that were all on his face so to speak, he was shining like a light. He had to put a mask on at the end of last week's parsha to hide that light from everybody else. On Shabbos, says the Chidush Arim, everyone got it back. Every single person got back their crowns. Every single person got back that light, the shine. So Moshe Rabbeinu's face glowed, but they could handle it because they themselves got their glow back. Every Shabbos. Can you imagine? This is the predecessor to the Neshama Yisera you get on Shabbos. Right now we use the Neshama Yisera to be able to eat a little bit of extra chones. Right? That's what we use the Neshama Yisera. Oh, we got the Neshama Yisera. I have to feed my Neshama Yisera. Then the Neshama Yisera was something you could see, literally see with your own eyes. There was a shine that came. You don't think that they decided Let's make early Shabbos this week. Why wouldn't you? You make early Shabbos, you get the shine an hour earlier. 
If you, on Motzeh Shabbos, where there are people who are just like, oh man, it's got a minute, minute to go, guys, 60 seconds, 60 seconds, we're getting in the car. Like, do you think that was happening? They were sitting there like, we don't want to get rid of this. They didn't want it. They were all Amshinav or Hasidim, waiting until like Tuesday, at like right before Shkia to make Havdalah. They're sitting there like extending Shabbos as long as they could because they felt it. They felt it like it was. Everybody's holding Mug and Abram 120 minutes after Shkia to be able to keep Shabbos up until that point. The concept was, and it's hinted here, Adas B'nai Yisrael is Edyom B'nai Yisrael. Vayakel Moshe. Moshe gathered together, says the Igrit As Adas B'nai Yisrael, he gathered together the crowns of B'nai Yisrael and he told them, hey guys, you want this back? You want the crowns back? You want this light for yourselves? Shabbos. You keep Shabbos, you get it back. You don't keep Shabbos, I'm keeping it. I get to keep it for myself. So it's your call. You can keep Shabbos and get your crowns back and be awesome. Or you can allow me to have it and I'll be awesome. It's one of the two. There's an unreal, the, 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 the way the Chidush Rim says it, I'm, I'm butchering the Chidush Rim, the Igritikalo, because I'm saying only parts of it, and I'm not saying the whole thing. But it's an amazing idea. Look at what we can get on Shabbos. There's an Itziv over here that also goes through the order, an amazing order of how it possibly makes sense, how Vayaka was said. I'm not going to do it because we don't have any time. But the concept, what we've been talking about in the idea... Number one, if Moshe Rabbeinu gathering together had to be seemingly on Moshe Yom Kippur, the ideas of what happened during that time, and this concept of gathering together on Shabbos, it's so important to build up our own stamina so that we can be that light unto the other nations. Gather the light back for ourselves and understand what it means to have that Nasev and Ishma. It's going to happen. When Mashiach comes, everybody's going to have the light again. So everybody has to build themselves up to the point where you'll be able to handle it. You'll be able to look at Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu no longer has to have the mask on his face. We'll have it ourselves all together because of everything we worked on on Shabbos Kodesh itself. That's the idea behind this week's parsha. Shkayach, everybody.